So this week, I received training designed to help people navigate through all types of relationships. And this curriculum was designed to help us as trainers to aid others to grow. It was designed to help us to equip people with tools to understand themselves, to understand others, and to be better at communicating and then dealing with conflict. So it was an interesting time. There were several helpful tools that they provided for us, but I found myself as we went into our breakout rooms, of course, looking at this screen, you know, the the screen, they stare at these Zoom screens all day, fun. But we would break out into these breakout rooms, and um, there'd be, you know, people talking about, you know, their experiences and feelings and how to navigate through these things. And I found myself talking to people about how the Bible tells me to put my attitudes and actions to death. You know, the way I feel about it is not, you know, it's, it's not the way that I need to, to resolve the issue. It's, it's, I need to put my spirit, my attitude, and my action, and my pathway to death. You know, and more than one time in the course of our breakout rooms, I would ask, you know, so, so we have, you know, we make these decisions about this, but where do we get the power how do we have the strength to be able to do that thing we're deciding to do? You know, based upon all this inundation that I received about relationship building and growing um, to advise other people that I was given, uh, I felt compelled to take some time this morning uh, to talk with you and myself, really, about what God has provided for us to enable us to change. What has God provided for us to enable us to change? Because if you use all these you know, worldly mechanisms, they might help to redirect how you're going through something, but they do not get to the core of changing us. We need something else. And God has provided something for us. And so we want to talk about that this morning. How do I change my stinking attitude about a situation or my poor attitude toward a particular person? How do I do that? How do I change from looking at the world's current condition the way that our society does? How does that change take place? Or, after a long week, how do I react to a situation like this? So midway through last week, one of our uh, electronic devices, an iPad, went to the black screen of death. You know what the black screen of death looks like? It looks like this picture they're going to put on the screen. The black screen comes, the Apple logo appears, and then the black screen comes, and then the logo appears, and then the black screen comes, and the logo appears, and it just keeps on going on. It's like an episode of the Twilight Zone in Loop. Well, my technical wizard of a son couldn't fix it, and I was occupied all week. So yesterday, I finally had some time, so I sat down, and about 45 minutes after working on it, you know, the, the apps start loading up and it can get beyond the black screen of death. And I had this self-satisfied feeling and this self-satisfied smile on. And I look over to my wife who with a big giant grin on her face says this, wow, you actually fixed something. <laughs> now there are a few ways in which a situation like this could go. <laughs> In this scene, I happened to um, burst out laughing, though my jaw was on the ground. 
And I looked over and I saw my wife's sweet eyes and her smiling face. And she said, that came out the worst possible way when I meant it in the best possible way. And I said to her, you just became an illustration in tomorrow morning's message. <laughs> now, can you imagine how this situation could go? You know, there are various ways you know, in, in, in that interaction. Lots of different things could have happened from that situation that, that could have been positive or negative. Well, in this life, uh, we face these types of situations and, and oftentimes far, far more serious problems than that that come up. And we need to figure out how to navigate through them. So how do we get better or grow in handling relationships? Now, when you develop a skill... It, it becomes something that you own. You own this skill, right? You, you learn how to drive a truck. You, you're practicing. You've gotten all, you know, all your, uh, someone taught you everything. You're practicing the skills. and you, you acquire those skills, and they become yours. You own them, right? Or you are a basketball player, and you, you learn all the technical things. You, you know, your feet are supposed to be shoulder width apart, and your strong hand is supposed to be, your, the foot of your strong hand is supposed to be just a little bit further. You get yourself square to the rim, your shoulders are square to the rim. You learn this process, right? You, 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 you learn it. You practice it over and over again. You acquire the skill, and you kind of own it. You learn how to shoot a gun. You, know, you, you, you hold it a certain way. You, you look in a certain way. You, you acquire the target. You, you learn not to jerk as you're about to pull the trigger. You, you learn how to, to hold it and squeeze. You know, all, all these skills, you learn them. Unfortunately, when, we, when it comes to real relationship skills and, and real spiritual, valuable fruitfulness, we never own it. We never own it. It's not like you can go and take a, a class and the class says, all right, 27 ways that you'll always fulfill the fruit of the Spirit. Just the, the title fruit of the Spirit tells you that you don't own it, right? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Who owns the fruit? The Spirit does. So I never, after all of my acquiring of knowledge and all this data that I learned and even practicing it, I, I, I don't own it, so I, I don't get a chance to control how it's used. Take a look, please, at Ephesians chapter 4. There, there's so, such valuable truth, God's truth here for us about how we deal with challenging circumstances in our lives and how we can change and grow. Ephesians 4 Beginning in verse 22, he tells us to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So we've got these, these passages, these verses 22, 23, and 24, and they list for us three essentials that we need. And we'll see their parallels in Colossians chapter 3 in just a few moments. We'll see how it's paralleled. But what are these three essentials? First of all, it's put off the old man. Put off the old man. That means don't tolerate your natural response to things. I heard so many times in the course of this last week that we need to have compassion on ourselves. And I'm going to tell you, if you have compassion on yourself, your tendency is going to feel justified about how you're acting and how you're thinking. So, quite honestly, 
I don't want to tolerate myself. I want to see when, when, when I come to the forefront as Rob and I demonstrate my fleshliness, I want to say, no, that is intolerable. That needs to go. He put off the old man. And then he says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And then he tells us to put on the new man. To put on the new man or to put on the new self in this text. Um, it's, it's like putting on a garment. That's the idea of the word enduo that, that Paul uses. The Greek word is enduo. It's to put on a garment. It's like, all right, I'm going into the closet. Fortunately, my wife most of the time picks up my clothes for me, which is very helpful for everyone. So I, and you're looking through and you grab this thing and you put it on you. Now you're wearing it. These are my clothes. But like, are they part of me? No. That's the concept. He tells me to put on the new man. It's not me. It's not my ownership. It's not my character. It's someone else's. And what does this new man look like? Verse 24, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in what? True righteousness and holiness. True righteousness, what does that mean? Doing the right thing and holiness, set aside, set apart, and, and pure. It, this, this is a unique thing that we're talking about. And God is telling me, if I'm going to change, it's not going to be because I'm adapting my old flesh, manipulating it, it's going to be by saying, this old way is not good. It needs to die. I need to be renewed in the spirit of my mind, which I'm going to talk to you about in a couple of minutes again, and then put on something that I don't own. Put on something that doesn't belong to me. It's his character. It's his new man. It's something that Christ has already done. And we, want, we have the opportunity to put on display his character in this life. That's the call in this text. It's not feeling my way through it. It's not arguing my way through it. It's not psycho psychologizing myself through it. It's there's an old way and there's a new way. How's it going to come to pass? It's by setting mine aside and taking his on. This, it's it's a, a wonderful thing. And this concept comes up uh, in numerous places. I'll just give you some reference to a couple of them. In Luke chapter 24... Jesus has already talked to his disciples, says he wants them to go and preach the gospel. But he tells them, before you go, I'm going to send you someone. And that someone is going to enable you to do what I call you to do. Listen to these words in Luke 24, 49. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are, here's our word, endued, clothed, with power from on high. So the Spirit would come and He would be the one that would give us the ability. The one to give us the, the power. It, it's not change because I really willed it to be so. It's change because God enables change. It's a beautiful thing. Put on the new man. And we have the same concept at the end of the book of Ephesians. Two times uh, in, in a short period of time where, where, where Paul is telling us about this battle that we face Remember, we're fighting not against flesh and blood. Oftentimes, that's what we think. We're fighting against some human. There's something beyond the, the human in this. We're fighting against principalities, powers, um, and, the, and those elements of the, the spiritual world, right? That's what he tells us. But he tells us to put on the whole armor of God. 
Then he tells us to gird up our minds with truth. He tells us to take up the shield of faith, to put on the breastplate of righteousness, to take up and put on the helmet of salvation. He's talking about taking things that I don't own. Instead, I'm taking the armor of God. It's someone else's power. It's someone else's resource. This, my, my brothers and sisters, this is the key to change. It's allowing God to do what only God can do. We struggle with change. Yes, there are habits that we can change. We can, through self-discipline, learn new ways. We can eat different foods and exercise more. We can learn to take a a five-minute break when we start to get anxious or angry. And we can try to settle down before we start to speak. All of those are fine and happy things. But that doesn't change me. That doesn't change me. What I need is, is spiritual, real, divine help so I can demonstrate something that is outside of my capabilities. I want to love in the face of hate. And I want to demonstrate peace in the face of war. And I want to, I want to experience joy in the midst of sorrow. And I want to be able to endure long with someone who is hateful toward me. Those things are all supernatural things. The only way that's going to really happen properly is if God empowers that. And that's the concept that we want to talk about today. What about this statement right in the middle in verse 23? What does it mean to be renewed in the spirit of your mind? This concept of being renewed in the spirit of our mind is repeated numerous times in our Bibles uh, in various ways. I want to just share three of them. They'll be on the on the screens for for us. In Colossians 3.10, he tells us to be renewed in knowledge. Renewed in knowledge. In Romans 12.2, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And then in 2 Corinthians 4.16, our inner self is being renewed, how often? Day by day. So there's regularity or constants to this renewal according to the 2 Corinthians 4.16 passage. There's outside input, according to the Colossians 3.10 passage, we're being renewed in knowledge, right? It's not the renewed in knowledge from here, it's renewed in knowledge outside, and for, for me, if I really want it to be the right kind of knowledge, I want it to come from here. I need to be renewed in knowledge. God is providing that knowledge for us, it's, so that comes from outside of us. And then... There is transformation that comes with this renewal according to Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Be renewed, be transformed, excuse me, by the renewal of your mind. So that leads us, it should lead us to say, all right, well, how does that renewal take place? So we've got this knowledge base, this continual process, and this result of transformation. How are we going to see that take place? It's very informative as we think about it this way. We need to regularly allow the input of God's word, that's the knowledge, by reading it, studying it together. We need to compare our thoughts and our actions to what we're reading. So, you know, let's suppose you're thinking about your your week and, you know, you had these troubles in the week. And maybe, you know, your first inclination is the troubles I have is really because of this guy and that girl. 
you're, if you're wise, you understand that, that those people out there, even the, those closest to you, cannot dictate what takes place in here. They can't. They only can do that if you let them do that. If you allow their actions, their attitudes, their influence to change you, that's something that you've decided to do. So we, we look at, at what God's Word says. We look at ourselves. We say, okay, so what's going on? Where, where do I see a difference between what God says about this situation and the way I'm thinking about it? This is part of that process of renewing our minds. Here's how I would normally process through that. You know, someone says, I don't like you. I'm going to say, well, I don't like you either. <laughs> that's, that's the, you know, the second grade mentality, right? We, we can probably turn that into an adult, adult version. It probably sounds a little different, and I don't want to go there. Um, you, but you know how that works. You know what your natural inclination is when someone cuts you off on, on the highway or someone cuts you off on the road or someone you know, darts out in front of you on the street? You know what your natural tendency is. You know what it's like when you're sitting at the, uh, you know, a lunch table or a dinner table with someone and people start like, just complain, 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 and that complaint really focuses in on you. Like, what is your natural tendency in that, in that regard? Well, we have all kinds of natural tendencies, but we don't want that natural tendency to come out. What we need is to set ourselves aside, to set our way aside, to compare the way we're thinking with what we know, and then allow God to transform the way that we're, our, our outcome is coming out, you know, the way that we're thinking, the way we're processing this out. It only happens from him. So with that being said, take a look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3. Colossians 3 is a wonderful capturing of a day in the Christian life. If you had, as a believer in Jesus Christ... Colossians chapter 3, and, and not many other resources. If that's what you had, you memorized Colossians 3, you could live a productive Christian life with the amount of truth that God has demonstrated in this one chapter. It's just unfathomable. So to break it down very quickly in Colossians 3, I just want to give you the, the, the layout of the chapter to, to help to see the, its import for what we're talking about. In the first four verses of Colossians 3, Paul talks about the fact that we ha should have different affections, that's the way we feel, affections based upon our position. Now what is our position? As believers, when we turn from our sin and turn to Jesus Christ as our Savior, God united us together with Jesus Christ. So where Christ is, there I am, and where I am, there he is. I'm united with him. So, if then you be risen with Christ, that's what it says to start uh, Colossians 3 in the King James Version, seek those things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God the Father. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Why? Because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Then when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So can you see how he's tied us together in a union with Christ? And it impacts what our, our affections are. What, 
What is your thirst? He tells us, because of this reality, because you're tied to Christ, turn your gaze away from the here and look up. Look at what He's done for you. You know, the, long, the longer we live this life, the more we recognize all of this, it's going to come to an end. No, no matter how much I accumulate for myself or for my family, at some point, I'm going to be gone. I will expire. I'll move on from this. What's next? If we know Christ, glory awaits us. It's not he who dies with the most toys wins. What can you do with those toys after you die? Nothing. Ask Solomon about this. He says, oh, I've, I've worked so hard. I've experienced all this pleasure. I've, I've built up all these storehouses. I have all these fields. I have all these vineyards. Who knows if some, some foolish dummy is going to have it after me. He's like really upset about this. I worked really hard on this, and I don't know if some fool is going to get it after me. It doesn't matter all, all, all the toys and all the accumulation of wealth that we get here in this life. That's not what it's about. Our affections are in the treasure. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then we will also appear with him in glory. This is, this is changing our entire perspective on what we're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's how he starts this chapter. Remember where your real life is and focus there. That's the first step. Then he moves on in verses 5 through 9, and he tells us that we should, should be mortifying ourselves based upon our position. In other words, instead of just doing whatever you feel in verses 5 through 9, set those things aside because you have a new position. Your position has far greater import than this old way. So he tells us to put to death those things that are earthly in us. And he lists a number of them, including sexual impurity and covetousness. Among these are um, things like, in verse 8, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Tells us not to lie to one another. These are basic concepts, things that we feel and do in this life. And what does God tell us to do about these ways we feel and do in our lives? Put them to death. Have some compassion on yourself. No, that's not what he said. Now, thankfully, in the midst of me looking at my own way and my sinfulness, I do know someone who does have compassion on me. My Father has compassion on me. And my Savior has compassion on me. And this changes everything. Because if I didn't think I had compassion from my Father, and I didn't think I had compassion from my Savior, I would, I would probably just say, you know what? That's it. I, I, I've got nothing. Because if I can't be right in that way, I'm just going to keep feeling the way that I feel. But that's not, I don't have to do that. Because I know I have compassion from my Father. It's obvious. God demonstrates His own love toward us in this. What? God, uh, Christ came into the world to save sinners. I just completely just said that wrong. But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
So we, we know that we have compassion from the Lord. We know from Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 that, that the Lord Jesus feels with us in our weaknesses. Even though he wasn't, te- uh, wasn't sinning in his temptation, he, he gives us compassion in the midst of it so we can boldly go before him. We have this great confidence. Deny yourself. Don't, don't have compassion on yourself. Let God be the one that has that compassion. Then as he moves a little further in verses 10 through 17, which is where we're going to spend a few minutes together, he says, um, he gives us this concept of a manifestation based upon our position. In other words, we want to be exemplifying Christ-like attitudes based on what he has done. So verses 10 through 17, I think we should read this section. Take a look at what it says. Verse 10. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body. And be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to god and whatever you do in word or deed do everything in the name of the lord jesus giving thanks to god the father through him in a few minutes we're going to look through just a few of these character traits just to help us think through this and I think what it'll do is it'll give you the ability to, to look through the rest of the character traits and do something similar with it, okay? So in just a few minutes, we're going to look through that section, verses 10 through 17. Uh, but before we get there, we want to give you the rest of the outline of the chapter because it doesn't end at verse 17. It goes on in verses 18 through 25 to give us applications based upon our position applications based upon our position so it's not just that we're setting our affection on something new we have new affections and it's not just that we're saying well i got to put all these things aside and then okay now this is the way that it's supposed to look in verses 10 through 17 these attitudes in verses 18 through 25 in a very practical way he applies it to daily life he talks about husbands and wives parents and children employers and employees It's very simple. He just says, this actually fleshes out in life. This impacts Monday. This impacts Tuesday. And every other day. There's all this laid out for us so that we can understand how changing our perspective and what we're looking at, what our goals are, changes everything about how we lay out our lives. And so we want to think about this middle section, though, verses 10 through 17. And just we're going to focus in on just a few portions of it so that we can have some meat uh, to, to, to ponder on. Verse 10. Verse 10. You have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So what is the goal of verse 10? 
that we learn, that we're thinking, that we're having our thinking changed in light of whom? The one who created us. And you recognize, and I recognize, that when God created man, he created man and woman in his own image. And so we were created as those that were to reflect him. And so in verse 10 he's saying, be reflections of the one that created you. That's the concept. To put something on there, and I really like what Thayer has to say about this, is to become so possessed of the mind of Christ as in thought, feeling, and action to resemble him. As it were, to produce the life he lived. In other words, what he's telling us here, what, what, how Thayer thinks through this putting on this new man is we actually want to be little demonstrators of who our Savior is. And isn't that what we're called to do? That others would see Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what we want in our, our conversation around the dinner table. That's what we want as we're driving down the street in our cars, we're talking to our wife or, or our children or our husband, whatever your situation might be. And he tells us in verse 12 that as those that have been chosen by him, those that are beloved and already declared to be holy, he gives us some instructions. We're called to exemplify Christ-like attitudes. What are these attitudes? He tells us that we're to come underneath the power of the Spirit, essentially, and demonstrate I'm just, we're going to only look at three character traits, and then the rest of these things you can, you can just work through on your own uh, this week. I think it'd be a good idea. The first item that he tells us to put on is compassionate hearts. Compassionate hearts. This is the greatest Greek term that is associated with compassionate hearts. Are you ready for this one? You're going you're gonna to chew on this all day. Splagnon. <laughs> Sounds disgusting, doesn't it? It's because it is a disgusting word. It has to do with your bowels. It's the way that your inner workings are. It's how you feel. It's how you feel. And essentially what God is telling you and I to do is to give our feelings over to him. Put on these compassions, these feelings of compassion that would demonstrate his character. These virtues don't come from our character. Remember, we're putting them on. Like we're going, we're going through the, the, the clothes in our closet. We're, all right, we're going to put this one on. I don't own it. It's not mine. What we want is for God's character that's outside of us to be formed within us. And the first character trait is compassionate hearts. Now this word is used in, in numerous places in the Scripture. I'm just going to bring your attention to two of them. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 78, listen to this passage. It says, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. In other words, what God is saying there, he's, it's a prophetic utterance that's coming in Luke chapter 1. And it has to do with Jesus appearing on the scene. And it's Jesus coming here is a complete result of God's compassionate tender mercy his tender mercy sent christ god the father sent the son to be what the savior of the world christ jesus came into the world to do what to save sinners of whom i am foremost god's tender mercy sent christ and that's the concept that we have back in colossians 3 
in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 8. Listen to this passage. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you at all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So now we move from God's affection, the Father's affection, to the Son's affection. What kind of affection did the Lord Jesus? Remember, for the joy that was set before Him, what did He do? He endured the cross. Why was He willing to do that? Because He had a bride to win. Who's the bride? The church. The church is the bride of Christ. Jesus laid down his life to acquire a bride for himself. Talk about affections. And these are the affections that we're talking about here. Why um, we don't want to, to set the bar low. What's the, what's the least of the standard that I need to arise to so that I can fulfill Colossians 3.12 where I put on this compassionate heart. Well, you know, I just have to, you know, don't be so cruel and don't be so judgmental toward everyone. Don't be so hateful. You know, be less of that. That's not the standard that's being purported in this passage. God is calling out for you and He's calling out for me to demonstrate the same level of compassionate love and tenderness that he displays. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, am I able to do that? Can I love you the way God loves me? And I'd say from a human standpoint, the answer to that question is, eh, not happening. Muster up some love. Learn some compassion. There's no class on the earth that can teach you this. What do you need? And what do I need? I need the supernatural working of God in my life. God's already prepared the way. You want to know how? When He saved me, He placed His Spirit within me. And because the Spirit of God is in me, I can have compassion on you with His compassion, and it's not based on me. What does it require on my part? Lord, I don't want to accept my natural tendency. I need to set myself aside. I need to see what it is that you've told me that I'm supposed to do. That's the renewing of my mind. And I need to put on then your capability. I need your power to be on display in my life. Not just this theory or thought about the possibility of God's power, but the actual demonstration of God's power in me. So listen, when you have the ability to love your spouse in the face of difficulty, what exactly is on display in that moment? God's power. God's power. You and I have the ability in our day-to-day lives to experience the wonderful working of God. And so the question is, do I want that? Do I want the power of God to be on display in my life in the midst of my work-a-day world? In the midst of my everyday life in my house? Do I want it? Yes, absolutely. If you could see God's creative power in, in making a landscape, would you say yes or no to that? If you could be there while God threw some stars across the, the sky, would you sign up for that? Of course you would. We all go outside at night and we're like, wow, look at all these things that God has made. When you see God's power at work, you're just amazed at it, right? 
So if you could sign up to, to watch it take place, you would do that. Well, you and I have that opportunity every minute of the day. Because God's Spirit dwells in us. And God asks you and He asks me to do stuff that we are absolutely incapable of doing. And so I say, Lord, I want to see. I want to see how in this irritating circumstance, I can demonstrate something different, but not me demonstrate it. You demonstrate it through me. So compassion, that's the first one, compassionate heart. Secondly, kindness, which is really closely related. Kindness, this is also listed in the middle of verse 12. That's a gentle, gracious disposition. Now, if you want to find uh, any information on kindness, where's the very first place you look? You don't look this way, you look that way, right? And so we think about Romans chapter 2 and verse 4 where God's word says this, Do not despise the riches of His goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness or kindness of God leads you to repentance. So it's God's kindness that brings us to repentance. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 7 and following, that in the age to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What kind of kindness is that? That while I was still a sinner, He sent Christ. That kindness is a willingness to deal with me, not in accordance with what I've dished out, but in accordance with who he is. It's a completely different thing. And so we think about Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and then what? Kindness. Whose kindness? His. And so when I think about myself in light of God's kindness, when I think about how I deal with my wife or daughter, children, neighbors, co-workers, and we, we, we want to put ourselves to the test. Is my kindness that, that, that I'm demonstrating, does it meet the test of God's kindness? That it's based not on their actions. I'll be nice to you if you're nice to me. I'll treat you with respect. If you treat me with respect, that's normal, right? That's how we work as in our natural capacities as humans. But instead we have something else to offer. That no matter how you treat me, I want God to help me to treat you with respect. You know one of the ways that I find it easiest to do that with someone that's super raunchy? I want to think, I've been that raunchy person before. And that raunchy attitude oftentimes is a result of a person being imprisoned or entrapped in their own world. Now, if, if someone has not been rescued by God's grace, what resources do they have at their disposal to be nice? They're, they're working with worldly resources. So if a person doesn't know Christ, should I expect them to be kind, respectful, loving? Now, I think there's a certain amount of respect as... as uh, as people that we, we anticipate from our co-workers. But we can't then base how we respond to people based upon what our hopes and uh, dreams are about how they would deal with us. God gives us the ability to, to have compassion and, and kindness toward others, recognizing that some people don't have, many people don't have, the, the resource of the Spirit within them to enable them to, to demonstrate kindness. And that leads us to the last one that we're going to talk about this morning, Talked about compassionate hearts, kindness, and then humility. Oh, here's a good one. 
humility. You know, my favorite definition of humility, I think, is a deep sense of one's littleness. That's, you, that's what you did this morning. You woke up in the, in the, this morning, you got in the mirror, and you said, look how little you are. This is what I want. I want to see that I'm getting littler. It's a different thing altogether. You know, a deep sense of one's unimportance. A deep sense that other people are more important than me. A deep sense of a far bigger purpose and picture than my own. A deep sense of one's littleness. This is the opposite of what is promoted in, by professionals today. Self-esteem, self-image, and all these kinds of things. You know, in 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, Peter says, All of you be clothed with humility. And then he follows that later on in the verse, and he says that God gives grace to whom? The humble. So I want to have that kind of humility. So what are some manifestations of pride, you think? Let's think through that just for a moment. What are some manifestations of pride? Thinking that a task is beneath you. I'm too good for this thing. Mom, don't ask me to sweep the floor. I swept it enough. That's going to be for someone else. That's for the maid. The maid can do that, Mom. A task is too little for you, too beneath you. How about this one? Thinking that everyone needs to do things just the way you do. One of the things that's fun in, the, in, in having the classes like I had this last week is, you know, I, the first part of the week there were like six of us that were going to these breakout rooms, and the second part of the week there was, I think there were 12 of us, and you hear people talking, and I have learned to appreciate hearing how other people process through things. Because, you know, I get locked in my own way, don't you? This is how I go through this situation. I've been doing it, I'm 45 years old, I've been doing certain things for a long time the same way. We hear how other people think through things. Some of these people were uh, b believers and some were not. But here's how people process through things. But one of the things that we have to realize is our way isn't always the best way the way that we process through a particular situation. And humility helps us to understand that my way isn't always the best way. How about this one? Thinking that if everyone were just like you, the world would be a better place. So easy to think that way. Well, I guess another manifestation of pride is any time we're just focused on, on me, focused on, on myself. How do I feel about that? How does this impact me? wish you didn't do that because now I feel this way. You know, these are all manifestations of self-interest. And in this passage, look what he says again in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, and humility. God tells us to demonstrate a consideration of others above ourselves. He's told us that in Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We know that passage well. He also has told us in, in this uh, passage, Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. I don't know if I have this on the screen or not. I can't remember. I do. Good. Uh, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Let's just take a moment and let that passage run through our minds. Who is the Son of Man? Well, he's Jesus. What do you know about who Jesus is? He's God. He's the second person of the triune Godhead. 
Remember in Genesis 1-1 when it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth? Well, as the progress of Revelation unfolds, you get to John chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 1, and you learn that Jesus is the one who spoke the world into existence. So think about all the things you see. Jesus made these things. The Son of Man made these things. And according to Colossians chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 1, he holds them all together this very moment. He laid down his life. The Son of Man didn't come and say, hey, I want to remind you that I'm the Creator. Come bow down before me. He didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. And how did he serve? By laying his life down to become the, a ransom for many. You know, he's coming again. When he comes again, he won't come as the, uh, the lamb who's going to be, who, who, who was slain for us. He's going to come as the lion who will conquer for us. Conquer for us. And set up an eternal situation that we will serve in and enjoy every day, every moment for eternity. Think about this. And this is the one that demonstrated the greatest display of humility that anyone has ever seen. This is the humility that's being called for. And uh, it's being called for from the Lord Jesus because it was displayed by him. You know, Luke 22, 27, I'm just, just going to flash on the board for a moment, that he was not among us as the one to be served, but he, he was the one who was among us as the one who serves at the end of that verse. And then in John 13, you'll remember that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. You know, these are just, uh, just a start of a list of the benefits of saying goodbye to ourselves rather than goodbye to irritating people around us. I'm going to say that one more time because I think that needs to sit in. These are just the start of the list of the benefits of saying goodbye to ourselves rather than goodbye to the irritating people around us. When we die to ourselves, we're able to put on God's fruitful ways. Here's just a listing of the rest of them. Meekness, patience, forgiveness. You'll catch up with me soon. Love, peace, instruction of others, and thanksgiving. I want to ask you, with those on the board just for a moment, how do you think these character traits would impact your relationships with others? Look through the list. How do you think these character traits would impact your relationships with others? I'd say infinitely. Infinitely. If we're going to be the best husband, wife, child, co-worker, neighbor, and if we're going to be the best church we can be, it's going to be as we are allowing the Lord Jesus to be exemplified in our lives. This is not learned behavior. You don't take a class and suddenly now I know how to do this. This behavior happens when we're rightly related to Him. If we're not demonstrating tender love, 
compassion. We're not displaying kindness and humility. What does that tell me about what my current condition is? If I'm not displaying those things, it means I'm not walking rightly in this moment with my Savior. Because when I'm walking rightly in that moment with my Savior, the Spirit of God is filling me or controlling me, and His fruitfulness is on demonstration in my life. It's what I want. It's what I need. And, and can you just imagine the impact that you can have in your home, in your workplace, and in God's church if you'll allow God's Spirit to do these things in you? Let's pray together. Father, we come before you. We're, we're needy. Um, we, we get frustrated and irritated and, and selfish. We grow weary of bearing with challenges that we face either from our society or even sometimes from people that we know. Help us not to cater to ourselves, but instead that we would desire by Your grace to put off our own natural inclinations to look regularly, consistently, at your word, that you would transform us and that you would enable us to put on your power and put on display your fruitfulness. We need your help to do this in our daily lives. So we pray that you would enable us to be willing and desirous of your intervention in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.